0: it's sports day plus with trey ellie
1: coming up on episode number six of sports day plus at ten forty-five. where are we at in society new research has learned the science behind disney adults an affliction that's as pathetic as it sounds at 10:15, it is the first of a two segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com on the Texas Rangers and yes, of course, takeaways from Texas OU. And coming up in seconds, the Rangers, they do sweep their way into the ALCS and take a look around the news in the NFL. Some unfortunate injury issues for teams including the Vikings, Colts, and Dolphins. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027ESPN. I don't talk a ton of baseball on this show, but I will take an opportunity early in today's August 11th episode to express some pride in the Texas Rangers. Yes, I understand that this town is split into many pieces with regards to the baseball team that you root for. Lots of people in-state who moved to Austin, some who are Astros fans. Lucky you guys. Others who are Rangers fans, and that luck hasn't been nearly as good over about the last decade or so. And then folks from all around the country who root for other teams as well. But this has been quite the season for Texas Rangers fans, of which I get to call myself one. This is a team that overachieved for much of the year, thanks in large part to one of the best offenses in baseball, maybe the second best offense behind the Atlanta Braves, and a pitching staff whose rotation has been good at times, but the bullpen has not. They've been much more bad than good. By that same token, Texas had an opportunity to win the division this year. And unfortunately for them, or maybe fortunately, as things have played out in the postseason, ended up handing off what was a 10-plus game lead, I believe, a month and a half prior to the Houston Astros on the final day of the regular season. Theoretically, that made their path to a World Series that much more difficult but don't tell them that because two series in this 2023 postseason for the Texas Rangers, and they still haven't lost a game. Now 5-0 and in the postseason after a first-round sweep over the Tampa Bay Rays, who had the second-best record in the AL, second-best only to the Baltimore Orioles that the Rangers dispatched last night in three games. With a 7-1 win. and a game that saw the Rangers. Score all but one of those runs in the first two innings. Really accentuating this idea that their offense is that damn good. Corey Seager leads things off with a solo shot in the first. And then they pour the runs on in the second. Highlighted by an Adoles Garcia three-run homer. And from there, Nathan Ivaldi, who is amongst the Ranger pitchers who has dealt with injury issues this year, arm injury issues at that, was really good, as he has been throughout his career in the postseason. Ivaldi, who, if you're having to label an ace on this staff right now, especially with Max Scherzer and John Gray coming back from injury themselves, trying to get ready for the ALCS... He is the ace on this staff, and he proved so last night by going seven strong, allowing just one run on five hits while also striking out seven. Her Chapman comes in for a very adventurous two-thirds of an inning where he ends up walking the bases loaded before Bruce Bochy comes to get him, replacing him with Jose LeClerc, who has really solidified the closer position for the Rangers as much question or as many question marks exist in that bullpen. Thankfully, LeClerc has provided an answer at closer. So he has to get one extra out than usual. He does. And the Rangers shut him down in the ninth to win 7-1 to one and to close the series out on the team with the best record in the American League. Baltimore's a young team. They will probably be good for the next couple of years, although you can't make any assumptions in sports, certainly in baseball. And the Rangers dispatched them. And they did so thanks in large part to the guy who was hired as manager this last offseason, Bruce Bochy, one of the best to ever do it in Major League Baseball, and he's proving so once again. And now this Rangers team waits to see if the Astros can finish off the Orioles tonight. A lot of people feel like there's a good chance that happens. Excuse me, I said the Orioles, the Twins. Astros are really good on the road this year below average at home, which may play into the next round if it turns into a Houston, Texas ALCS. And how exciting would that be for baseball fans in this state? Yes, I understand, Astros fans, you have dominated the Rangers this year, but baseball is one of those sports where trends very quickly get flipped on their head. I'm not saying that's going to happen this postseason, but Texas is playing darn good baseball, and there's a chance they get both Max Scherzer and John Gray back in some capacity next round. Scherzer spoke optimistically about it. Rangers GM Chris Young also did talk about John Gray being close too, and at a time of year where guys are trying to stay healthy enough to continue contributing in a positive manner... The Rangers are getting healthier while playing better at the perfect time. Quick look around the NFL before we hit the commercial break here. Bummed that Justin Jefferson is likely, not likely, at this point he is missing at least the next four games with a hamstring injury. Injured himself Sunday in the Vikes loss to the Chiefs, and hamstring injuries are something that you need to be very careful with, especially when you're talking with a guy who is explosive as Justin Jefferson, and a team like the Vikings, who have not been very good this year. No need to take an unnecessary risk. I don't know if the Vikings out-and-out tank now, but yeah, Justin Jefferson sitting out for a month is not the end of the world. It sucks for fantasy owners, many of whom took him number one overall this year, like there's a curse on that number one overall pick. But then again, fantasy football is hard. It's hard to pick the right guys, as many of us now know. Bummer of an injury in Indianapolis with Anthony Richardson hurting his shoulder. This is the third time this guy has had to leave a game. I think in the four games that he's played due to injury. He just takes hard shots. And unfortunately, on Sunday, he hit the ground hard which led to an AC joint injury that was initially estimated to keep him out for a month or so. Now it looks like he may be out for at least two months. The Colts, who will be starting Gardner Minshew for the foreseeable future, love that guy, one of the more exciting players in the NFL. They went out and signed another quarterback today because they're worried about Anthony Richardson over the next couple of months. I don't know if you completely shut this guy down to make sure that he understands what's at stake with him staying upright and running and trying to pick up extra yardage, but they did go out and sign Kellen Mond. And remember, this is also a team that has Sam Ellinger. So now Sam Ellinger and Kellen Mond on the same roster. Hopefully Sam gets that next crack if something were to happen with Gardner Minshew. And then speaking of Texas A&M alum and the NFL... I don't know if there's a rookie that has had a better rookie season so far than Devon Achan, the running back for the Miami Dolphins, who has speed for days on a team that isn't lacking in speed. He has had a record-setting first five games in the NFL, but unfortunately, he is also going to be out for at least the next four games. The Miami Dolphins placed him on injury reserve today with a knee injury bummed about that but that is also the nature of the sport jeff wilson close to coming back for the dolphins in that backfield to go along with raheem mostert all right that is it for your look around the nfl coming up next we will talk a little more texas rangers baseball and reflect back on texas ou with justin wells of inside texas.com it's sports day plus with trey
0: Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.
1: It is a Wednesday, which means it is time for the first of a two-segment chat with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com does a great job covering Longhorn Football, recruiting, and a whole lot more there, as do so many other great folks at Inside Texas. Justin, always a pleasure. How are we doing today?
0: Hey now, we're doing all right. You know it's bye week. so you get a, you get you get a little bit of a breath and then you go right back at it. And so I, I'm just like the Texas team. I need I needed that bye week.
1: <laughs> yeah, the bye week does come at a good time considering what happened in Dallas this last Saturday. before we go there, we need to start on more of a positive note, sticking in the DFW area. Where yours and mine and plenty of other people's Texas Rangers, it's been a roller coaster ride of a season, but uh, we are at a good point in the year based on these first couple of rounds in the playoffs of the Texas Rangers not having lost a game yet, including sweeping the AL best Baltimore Orioles in three games over the last four days or so. Uh, just how happy are you to watch not just playoff baseball with the Texas Rangers, but the Texas Rangers succeeding at playing playoff baseball?
0: Yeah, you know, you, you said it, you know, it's been a roller coaster season. But for the most part, you know, Texas has been one of the best teams in baseball. They really have. And they finished the season with just such a slog and just sort of dragging to the line, to the finish line. You didn't know how they were going to react. And it was—it's almost like a new season, which it essentially is. The starting pitching has been phenomenal. The timing—timely hitting has been great, and the bullpen has actually been serviceable, which is basically you know Texas' Achilles' heel. But what's funny is you know I was talking to our man Adam Wagner, who's a big Baltimore Orioles fan, and I told him before the the I told him before the series I said, look. The one thing I I worry about with Baltimore is their starting pitching. I said, I think Texas can actually get to that and get to that early. And he said he agreed and and some other things. And and that's kind of what happened. Baltimore is a year or two away. They've got one of the best farm systems in baseball. They've got incredible young talent, great young arms like Grayson Rodriguez and those guys. But they're just a year or two away. I think Houston has all the veterans and experience. And Texas is kind of that team that's still there and so you know as a rangers fan i'm excited but most of all this has been the first year my son has really gotten into baseball he played his first season last last summer and so this is the first time that he's or yeah this summer rather and so that this is the first time he's he's really you know seen baseball day to day and to be honest with you following it along with him has been my my best joy because this kid goes pitch to pitch Hmm. and when you're in the playoffs covering playoff baseball that's how you got to handle it it's pitch to pitch play to play and right now it looks like houston's gonna take care of the of the minnesota twins and i gotta be honest with you trey i'm not ready for a texas houston alcs (laughs) i'm just not i'm not mentally prepared for that i i don't think social media is ready and i think it could get a little rambunctious but also could be one hell of a time.
1: It's going to be rowdy, and I'm not even going to say unfortunately. The Astros own the Rangers in the regular season, but one of the interesting things about baseball is trends very quickly get flipped on their heads. So even though Houston owned the season series, Texas is playing as well as anybody right now. You talked about the pitching, which has been a big question mark, especially with all the injuries that the Rangers have dealt with throughout this year, starting with Jacob deGrom suffering that season-ending elbow injury. They go out and get Max Scherzer. He gets hurt. There's a chance he comes back now. John Gray, who is a steadying influence in that rotation for much of the year, he goes down to injury the last month of the season. He may also be back as well on top of guys like uh, Jordan or uh, uh, Montgomery and then also Nathan Ivaldi pitching their butts off. And yes, an improved performance out of that bullpen too.
0: Yeah, listen, and people, you know, people wanted to know what happened to Texas that final month of the regular season. Well, injuries. I mean, yeah. they piled up. They lost to Dallas Garcia for a long time. They lost jo- Josh Young for a long time. And they lost Max Scherzer and John Gray. They actually just got Evaldi off of uh, the, uh, the, the DL. This guy had missed the last part of the season. And so they they felt like they kind of rushed him back. And, and he was looking solid. And so that's what you're seeing the Texas team that you saw in May and in June. When it's a little more healthy, when they have their guys stocked up. And listen, when they've got their starting pitching, this thing gets fun. And I think that's what Texas fans are excited about. They're playing as well as anybody. And once you enter this portion of the season, that's all that matters. Who's your
1: son's favorite player?
0: Oh, God. Uh... Probably Corey Seager. Yeah, that's
1: a good choice. He changes a,
0: he changes a lot. He he likes a lot of players. His favorite baseball player is Shohei Otani, but his favorite Ranger is probably Corey Seager right now. But he loves Marcus Simeon. He loves Josh Jung. He loves Adolis Garcia. Uh, he loves uh, Jonah Heim. Like he, he he sort of goes through them. But yeah, right now he's picking on Corey Seager. Who if without Shohei's insane season is probably your al mvp
1: i love watching that with my son too we watch much more football than we do baseball of course the rangers haven't been very good up until this year he will cycle through favorite players and favorite teams and he's seven he is certainly entitled to do so he asks me dad is it okay if i have a new favorite team i'm like like whoever you want to like son You'll eventually settle on that. By the time you get to your teenage years, you're, you'll realize who your favorite team is, but you want your favorite player to be Lamar Jackson this week and uh, Pat Mahomes next week or Travis Kelsey or, or pick a player. Like You know I don't like the Dallas Cowboys, but if you want to like the Dallas Cowboys, this is going to be a much easier life for you here in Austin, Texas. But it's, uh, it's so much fun watching sports. With uh, with those little creatures, which we helped create, uh, enjoying it way more than, than we can in our 40s.
0: That's it. And that's kind of what you get into. You know, when I was his age, I literally had to wait until my senior year or junior year of high school for the Texas Rangers to be make the playoffs. It was their first time in franchise history, mm-hmm. and I was going into my junior year of high school. And so I had to wait 16, 17 years to see any sort of success. These little guys are seeing it pretty soon. And I'm a little jealous of that, but I'll tell you what it's doing. It's making them love sports because they, they see the, they see the excitement. They see the intensity. They see how much fun it can be on both sides of it, winning and losing, being a part of something. And so, yeah, we had it tough, man. The Texas Rangers, when they moved from Washington in 1972, they didn't do anything. Now in the eighties, they had some of the best bats in all of baseball. In the 90, early 90s, they were considered murderer's row in a batting order of Ruben Sierra, Juan Gonzalez, uh, P- Rafael Palmeiro, Julio Franco, Dean Palmer. Uh, I mean, it was, it was it was great. We just never had the pitching. My son is never going to have to understand that in his early years. <laughs> all he has to see is Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and Nathan Avaldi and Dane Dunning. So this kid's, these kids are a little more spoiled than the way we had it, man.
1: I used to try and imitate, one, I switch hit, but I used to try and imitate Ruben Sierra's leg kick from both sides of the plate. And he had two different batting stances on each side of the plate. Did. I, try, I tried did. to imitate both of those. Which Rangers hitter did you try and imitate at the plate, if at all?
0: But mostly Julio Franco.
1: Yeah,
0: And, and what it taught you was, I don't have the same quick wrist that Julio Franco has because <laughs> Julio Franco has the quickest batting wrist in the history of major league baseball. It's, oh, it's insane. It was so everyone wanted that. Yeah. And every, yeah, and Julio had that, had that, that crazy batting stance. I think that was the one that everybody did. I had a little Pete O'Brien to mine. Oh. I, when I went to the left side, I would wave that bat a little bit, but you're right about Ruben. And it's funny because from the left side, it was a big swing. It was a big, he would circle the bat and do that leg kick but then on the right side he would just jump his left leg up and literally swing through the ball off balance and in 1989 this guy was only a few votes away from being the AL MVP and so if if there was a I I tried to emulate all of them and and this was a time when I was you know the San Francisco Giants were really good and the Oakland A's were really good so I was trying to do Will Clark batting Mm. left-handed Kevin Mitchell Mark McGuire you know, like you're saying, like we were trying to f- figure out, I was trying to figure out who I liked the most, but man, nobody tried to do the batting stance of Julio Franco more. That was the one everyone wanted to do.
1: Yeah, that would uh, lead to a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, Ruben Sierra would keep that front leg straight on th- from the left side of the plate, and you would get the big leg kick. But you're right, he would like whip it out. He was like leaning a little bit forward from the right side, and he was robbed of an MVP in 1989. They gave it to Robin Yount. In part yep. because Robin Yount had had such a good career, they're like, I guess we'll give it to this guy. Ruben Sierra was the better player statistically that year.
0: He was because he won the Sporting News Player of the Year. He won a he won a handful of awards, but he didn't win that main one. And and but that's that's what we grew up around. We grew up around watching the Texas Rangers be incredible at the plate and just always missing out on the hitting. And then when they signed a guy in '88 named Nolan Ryan, hmm. I think that's when things started to turn. I think that's when they, they started – because that's the same winter meetings that they traded for Rafael Palmero. That's the same winter meetings that they traded for Julio Franco. And so, that, you know, that was their real big push, I feel like. And, man, it was so much fun back then. But And, listen, there was no divisional playoffs. No, there's no wild card. Listen, in 1986, the Texas Rangers would have been the, the top wild card team in the playoffs. They, they, they finished second in the division. They had actually a really good season in '86. And they just missed out. But now with so many teams that go to the playoffs, I'm curious what it would have been like when we were kids because we didn't get to see a playoff game until 1995, man.
1: That is crazy to think about. All right, we've put the Texas OU conversation off long enough, but you're going to have to deal with the commercial break first. Coming up on the other side, I will get Justin Wells' thoughts on Texas OU, the first half of the Longhorns' 2023 season, and what we should expect going forward. You were listening to Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com right here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey
0: Elliott. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: Back with one more segment with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Justin, we were all anticipating Texas OU, the 119th edition, which happened in Dallas last Saturday. And unfortunately for Longhorn fans, it would not turn out like many expected with Oklahoma playing the more consistent ball on both sides of the ball and uh, doing less to harm themselves in their attempts to win that top 12 matchup. What did you see as the biggest issue for Texas
0: football on Saturday? Oh, man. (laughs) I, I guess I guess it's more or less that's a loaded question. Um <laughs> how how about the fact that they played bad enough and almost still won this game? Yeah. You know, that that to me sticks out the most. I, I think they made some small mistakes during the first five weeks of the season and they just outplayed so many teams that they didn't have it didn't become an issue. It never it never festered. Whereas Oklahoma, they made mistakes. And listen, that team came in prepared. Coach Venables had those guys playing at a very, very high clip. And you got to give those guys credit. It almost felt like Texas fans didn't expect Oklahoma to show up with a little bit of ticked off. When you get beat 49 to nothing, you're going to come back with a little more vigor in a rivalry that's already full of hatred. And that's why I think the first six minutes of that game was like a drug. Because there was so much going on and so many things happening all at once. You have to you had to give it a little bit of time to to settle in. And once Texas settled in, they found their niche. Quinn Ewers two interceptions on the first two possessions. That's just brutal. and you know, coming from a guy that had barely thrown an interception in the last, you know, nine, ten games, he still finished thirty-one of thirty-seven for three hundred and forty something yards and a touchdown, and so he still had a decent game. But the margin for error was smaller because Oklahoma was playing a lot better. Dylan Gabriel was underrated in a sense. This guy was starting like his 47th game of his career. you got to give those guys credit. He's been around. He threw the ball well. I questioned a little bit of, of how they pressured the, uh, the receivers on defense. You know, that the final three drives of the fourth quarter, Texas stuffed. Oklahoma. And I think when Bert Auburn kicked that field goal, they felt like, hey, all we got to do is make another stop. I mean, that's what Jalen Ford and the guys were telling each other on the sideline. We just need one more stop and we're good. And you go back and look at the tape and Manny Muhammad is 12 yards playing off a receiver. Mm. And you have to think why? And what did Oklahoma do? They went down the field effortlessly like it was seven on seven. And to me, there's just so many little things that went wrong. Even all that added together, Texas almost won that game. I just think we're going to see them again in in Arlington in in, in in December. I think this game, I have a that theres a 2018 vibe to this, where they played such a great game in October, and it looks like another great one could be ending up in December. Uh, and that would only that would be fitting to leave the Big 12 as the two teams playing in the Big 12 championship. That would only be fitting. But Texas did so many things wrong and still won the game. And if I'm a Texas fan, that should actually give me a lot of happiness because I think Texas can correct a lot of these mistakes.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And it was so interesting talking to Oklahoma people last week, Justin, because – Dylan Gabriel's been good this year. Obviously, him not being a part of this game last year is a big reason why Texas was able to shut out Oklahoma. Now, Dylan Gabriel, I don't think, would have kept Oklahoma from losing the game last year, but it wouldn't have been 49 to nothing. But it was interesting to talk to Oklahoma people this week because he's been really good this year, throwing the deep ball, chewing up the middle of the field. But because Sooners fans are so spoiled at quarterback... There were there's a fair number of fans that weren't that big of believers in Dylan Gabriel heading into that game. I hope all of that doubt has been shut up because Dylan Gabriel is the biggest reason why Oklahoma was able to win on Saturday. That dude is a gamer.
0: Absolutely, and listen, it ain't like he's throwing to C.D. Lamb, right? And Charleston Rambo and D.D. Westbrook and Hollywood Brown, and he didn't have Demarco Murray behind him or Ramondre Stevenson or Kennedy Brooks. They're doing this with a bunch of other just other guys and I think you I think they deserve credit for that I think Jeff levy deserves credit for that they, they got the most out of that and and, and give them credit they, they came prepared they came ready to punch Texas in the mouth and when you gift the team the ball inside the 12yard line to start the game on offense and then the other team sends a a, a snap over the quarterback's head and you don't capitalize because you run into the punter on the next play, that's two plays right there. That's 14 points of difference right there. And no matter what would have happened, if those two plays go the other way, Texas probably leaves the Red River shootout a winner.
1: Yeah, you can also point to that series of four downs where Texas had it at the OU1 and was unable to get into the end zone, which is just maybe the most glaring example of the issues that this offense has had in the red zone this year. Now, Steve Sarkisian did own up to it after the game and in the Monday presser a couple of days ago. What do you think this offense needs to do, Justin, in order to start finding more success in terms of getting the ball into the end zone once they get inside their opponent's 20? Uh,
0: the interior offensive line needs to get healthy. Uh that 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 to me, the game was lost on the fourth on the on the the, the first and goal through fourth and goal, the goal line stands for Oklahoma. That's where Texas lost the game ultimately. And and even Sark talked about the questioning of the play calling and, and kind of what he would do differently. Um, Ian Boyd, my man at Inside Texas, showed one of the clips, and it showed, why not just hand it to Devondre Sweat, the lead blocker, because on the first two plays, <laughs> Sweat drove through the line like a truck. <laughs> and it shows you, it's like, Maybe, maybe there's a few things they need to tweak here. I think CJ Baxter is made for that goal line type type situation. He's not hundred percent healthy. We know that. I think that's the guy that you would rather hand the ball to on the two yard line and tell him to hit the hole because he's bigger, he's stronger, and, and Jonathan Brooks has been tremendous this year. Don't get it twisted. But but Baxter's kind of your more of your goal line guy just because of his speed and, and his downhill style. Get the interior offensive line healthy. Get Jatavian Sanders healthy. He was a decoy on Saturday, and Oklahoma figured that out after about the sixth or seventh play.
1: And
0: so get him healthy. I think everything else is fine. I think quarterback play is fine. I think the receivers play is fine. The running game is great. They've got two really good running backs that they can lean on. So get that interior offensive line right. Get Jake Majors a few weeks of, of health. Get Cole Hudson back could be expected against houston you know make sure dj campbell understands the 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 plays and the the the, the protections and and the you know the, the counter blocks and stuff of that sort the combo stuff make sure everybody's on the same page and and get kelvin banks healthy people don't realize he's been dinged up for weeks now and so i think this bye week came at the right time and you asked what's the best thing that can happen for this offense it might be the bye week this weekend do you
1: have any insight as to why Jalen Ford played one of his worst games as a Longhorn? Certainly, his worst game since he became a starter last season.
0: Oh, buddy, that was the one really big surprise. Yeah. After Saturday, I think the tempo got to him. Huh. I don't think he was ready for the tempo. He he, he played frozen at times. And listen, Jalen is is one of the best players in this program. He's going to play in the NFL for years. But during that game, I had actually had a handful of former Texas players that are actually in the league now texting me about Jalen, asking me about certain things. They'd never done that before. And I think Jalen Ford just had a stinker of a game. And listen, we're human. That's going to happen. Sometimes you, sometimes you come with your best. Sometimes it's not enough. And, and I think David Benda was similar. He even admitted he messed up on the final play that cost him the, touch, the game-winning touchdown. They didn't play at their best. If anything, Anthony Hill was a superstar. This guy had 41 snaps, uh, second highest. uh, I think he had eight tackles in the game, tied for second highest in the game. He was phenomenal. But I just – I feel like Jalen Ford had a stinker. That's it. I I think the, the tempo got to him a little bit more than what he was used to. And if there's one kid on that defense that will dive into the video room and figure out what he did wrong, it's Jalen Ford. And that's why I don't feel like you will see a repeat of Saturday.
1: Yeah, I feel like if and when Texas and Oklahoma play again that first weekend of December, we see Jalen Ford playing – one of the best games on that side of the ball. All right, real quick. I don't know if we have time for both of these things. I do want to ask you about the Dallas Cowboys. First, though, any big recruiting updates? Obviously, Texas had control of the visitors list for the game in Dallas because they were the home team. Anything folks need to be made aware of on the recruiting front for Longhorn football?
0: Yeah, um, Saturday was great. And and you say, well, what are you talking about? Texas lost. Well, Texas recruits don't view the games like Texas fans. Texas fans are fanatical. They're alums. They they they've been rooting for this team most of their life. This is what they've grown up doing. Um but recruits loved it. They love the atmosphere. If you if you like college football, you cannot you can't not love the Cotton Bowl. You can't not love that Red River rivalry. That's how great that is. Colin Simmons was in the house, the the the, the you know the, the top dog in the 2024 class for Texas. Kobe Black, one of the remaining top targets uh, out of Waco, Conley. He he made it. He was supposed to be at, at you know at, at Texas A and M for an official visit. He spurned those guys and he headed straight. Uh, he headed straight for, for 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 Dallas. But at the end of the day, the fact that Kobe Black made the trip to Dallas and didn't hit College Station was probably the biggest storyline. Because I know that Texas and Black are in a great position. I know that AM is pushing as hard as possible to get him back. And I feel like that in itself lent to the horns, you know, finishing strong in this 2024 cycle, especially with kid like Kobe.
1: We'll have to hit the Dallas Cowboys next week because we are unfortunately out of time. He is Justin Wells, Inside Texas, Inside the on Texas football YouTube channel. Check him out, those places and on this show. <laughs> every Wednesday starting at about 6.15. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friend.
0: None but love, brother.
1: Coming up and Where Are We At In Society, new research has learned the science behind something called Disney adults. Yeah, it's as sad as it sounds. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellick. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellick. Final segment of today's show means it's time for...
0: Where are we at in society today?
1: That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. And we start... In both Anaheim, California and Orlando, Florida and there's several other places around the globe that also qualify but I cannot name them to you off the top of my head. Do you know an adult who gets way too excited to go to Disney World or Disneyland or any other Disney property around the globe? I do and it's pretty pathetic I'm not going to lie. In some cases, these people do have kids. So they can make it seem like they are sharing this joy with their children. But the reality is, much like with the new parents who host a one-year-old birthday party for their newborn. Which is really just an excuse to show everybody that they know how to keep another little human alive receives those backpats and also maybe a couple months supply of diapers Disney adults as they're apparently called you can mention the kid if you want to but it's really about you scratching that itch well apparently Disney adults those who can't help but to go to the Disney theme parks and act like children in the process it's such a thing That research has been done to learn why these adults act the way that they do. And it turns out there are several reasons that these Disney adults are so obsessed with the parks and then also the brand in general. Now, the article that I'm about to bring you points out that they are excessively criticized But sometimes the criticism is warranted. I mean, if you are exhibiting this level of arrest development, some things need to be said. I'm not saying anything needs to be done, but some things need to be said. Just like that 45-year-old who is still way into Star Wars or professional wrestling or, dare I say those strange dudes who are still into My Little Pony, although that's maybe a a slightly different category from what we're talking about. I feel like Disney adults are closer to the My Little Bronies than even your over-the-top Star Wars fan. But according to research, psychologists have learned that this fandom... Likely stems from one of three things. Personal trauma. Yeah, you think? A way to revive core memories. Okay, that one kind of makes sense. Or a sense of belonging. That one also makes sense. When you consider that we're not only communal creatures, we're also tribal creatures. Those are two qualities that have allowed the human race to not just survive but thrive over the years. And so we are drawn to those who allow us to tap in that sense of normalcy, whatever the hell normalcy means. I know what normal's not. It's being a grown-ass adult who goes overboard with your Disney fandom. Now, the concept for Disneyland... Began when Walt Disney himself watched his two daughters ride the carousel at Griffith Park in Los Angeles. At that moment, he envisioned a place where adults and children could go and have fun together. I feel like it's more kids having fun with most normal adults miserable in the process. Yeah, the trade off or the payoff is your kids really enjoying themselves and laughing and some pictures. But at the end of the day, you are paying entirely too much money to go stand in line all day with the occasional ride mixed in. Many see Disney as a travel destination experience of a childhood that they never had. Talking about Disney adults now. Maybe a way to allow their inner child to flourish in a safe environment. Is it all that safe though? I mean, when you have that many people and a lot of kids running around all over the place, how safe is it actually? According to this research, a woman named Susan shared her story on a Disney discussion forum regarding how she suffered trauma but felt saved when she first visited the park. She went to Disney World at age 19 and recalled watching the Wishes Show at Magic Kingdom Quote This was at a point where I was really suicidal And I didn't feel like there was anything Left to hope for I hadn't even really wanted to go to Disney World Just being there Surrounded by all that magic and hope There's no magic, maybe there's hope There's no magic though Let's keep that in mind And being surrounded by all these things That appeal to childhood And belief in your dreams It made me feel like there was a child Inside of me who just wanted to be able to live again. She continued to explain how now, as an adult, wasn't she an adult at 19? She, quote, trips whenever money allows and misses the park when she's not able to. Quote, no horrible relatives or abusers will bump into me there. Uh, there may be some abusers, lady. Susan, excuse me, I don't mean to call you lady. Susan, there may be some abusers there. As a matter of fact, it would be an absolute shock if there weren't abusers walking around Disneyland or Disney World. It's like a place where they have free reign in a sense, but no horribles or abusers to bump into me there. And it's okay there to want to be a kid again and to think of childhood in a happy light. You can also do that without waiting in excessive lines for rides that themselves are often overrated. You mean to tell me that you're riding the teacups over and over again, feeling better about your childhood? I mean, look, if that's what helps you heal, go for it. But I'm sorry to have to make this executive decision, Susan, but it's a little bit sad. A Reddit user shared their reason for being a Disney adult in a post that reads, quote, I was a poor kid who grew up and decided that they wanted to finally take their money to the place they could never go as a kid. Melissa Tierney, another so-called Disney adult, has turned her passion for its magic into a career as an influencer. She owns more than 400 pairs of Mickey Mouse ears. My God, what a loser. And according to her Instagram, Mickey and Minnie were honored guests at her wedding, which was held at the Orlando location. I mean, just how big of a beta male is her husband? I'm just going to have to ask that question. I'm sorry. I am. I get it. The day is all about her. But you got to put your foot down with some things. You mean to tell me having Mickey and Minnie stand as, I don't know, bridesmaids and groomsmen? You didn't look at that and think that you were making a colossal mistake? With somebody who's a little bit too unhinged from reality? Am I being harsh right now? Probably. But I gotta call it like I see it. I'm sorry. If you're a grown adult who is putting that much stock in a place that oftentimes is appealing to the lowest common denominator and forcing people to wait in long, long ride lines for rides that are maybe sometimes worth it, but for the most part, they're not. And you're also paying an insane amount of money. When you could take that money and pay for a much more enjoyable experience that doesn't involve you being surrounded by, I don't know, families that are way too excited about Disney. I guess you're just with your tribe now. I shouldn't make fun. I shouldn't mock. I shouldn't rip. But I'm going to because, as I said at the start of this conversation, I know some Disney adults. I have tried to talk sense into them while respecting their right to be complete losers by overvaluing Disney World and Disneyland and everything about the Disney brand. Come up with some great movies over the years. I agree with that. Disney Plus, it's a fine streaming channel. Are they getting a little bit too political nowadays? Yeah, probably. But that's their right to do so. This isn't about that necessarily. This is about adults who think it's a good idea to go to Disney World. Even with kids in tow, but especially without. My goodness, get a grip. That is a fantasy land that in a lot of ways (laughs) represents the corporatization of America. Again, spend that money to go someplace cool. Orlando on its own sucks. Maybe it sucks a little bit less if you're at Disney World. But it's not like that's some grand experience. You may idealize the situation after the fact, remembering it as something better than it actually is, but it's not. I'm sorry to burst that bubble, but it is not. So this Melissa Tierney woman, who owns 400 pairs of Mickey Mouse ears and had Mickey and Minnie at her wedding in Orlando, had this to say, there are a lot of Disney adults I'm friends with Who had really rough childhoods. Disney is like an outlet for them to feel like they're having the childhood they didn't get to have. She admits that she didn't have a rough childhood. But a magical one. And she likes reliving the magical side of her childhood. Kind of rubbing it into her fellow Disney adults. Alright, that is it for another Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen.